It's Tuesday, December 13th, 2022, and this is The National Pulse Presents Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam, this is bowling, there are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by! We used to be number 10, now we permanently won in the battle, lost my finger. Mike became my arm, pissed the nozzle, it's nasal. Blood becomes my form, tell them, what might be easy now, squeeze this so much. Test why cleft, see that flesh gets scorned. So bad, make you feel like you ain't wanting to be born, John. Tell your friends, stay that hell out of my lord. Chicken drawers became dead drawers, stealing chicken from my form. I'm not the dead kitchen. If you're my theosis, then I'm bringing all hate to Cecilia. Nobody shoot me, my body's made a hand. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 50% off. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on- and off-duty gear. Hot melted plastic made just for you. Need something custom, they got you covered. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family getting ready to send all those big holiday savings out to everyone. Give the gift of comfort, rest, and relaxation with my pillows, my slippers, the Airlandells, and Giza Dream Everything. And in promo code STEAK at checkout, you're going to get big, big savings. MyPillow.com forward slash STEAK. For anything sleep related, if you're more of a morning person, they've launched my coffee. 25% off your order there. You're going to get 50% off if you do a monthly subscription. MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, used to be 10 and now you're permanently one. Get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's a licensed FFL. If you're into the tradesies and don't live in Canada, he's also got a five-star rating. His newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone. 619-870-6992. Our good friend Alan has launched the Patriot Cigar Company, plucked from the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Age three years, hand-rolled. And a promo code stake here, you're getting 15% off your order. All orders over 100 bucks, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Steak for breakfast, backs the blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. While they're off duty, they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, t-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the beat. Plus, they've got a pretty fire IG. MediocreMedic.com is the website there. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair and home of the Zero Fucks Duck. Still don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday. Dumpbox.us is the website. Find him on Instagram. Find him on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast or on the website at SteakForBreakfastPodcast.com. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, the newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to all our friends joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app from the Republican High Command, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Welcome 
Tuesday edition Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 195. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's loading up. She's going to join us in just a bit. Guys, we've got a great show. Three big guests. Tons of breaking news. So let's jump right into it. Jake Denton, Tech Policy Research Associate at the Heritage Foundation. Jake, good to see you. You know, earlier this week, um, Republican Congressman Mike Gallagher was on special report and had this to say about TikTok. TikTok is on the cusp of becoming the most dominant media company in America, and it is controlled by ByteDance, which is effectively controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. It's as if in 1958, we decided to let Pravda and the KGB buy up the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Chicago Tribune, ABC and NBC all at once. That actually probably understates the stupidity. No country with even a passing uh, interest in its own security would allow this to happen. So, Jake, we have an increasing number of states that are going are banning this on government devices. But is it is it too late? Well, it's not too late. And frankly, you know, while the states are doing a great deal here in terms of making sure that government phones don't have TikTok on it, it's not a solution. The only solution here is an outright ban. And every day that we wait to basically implement it is another day that a child's biometric data is uploaded, that a family's personal information is compromised, and that our intellectual property is at jeopardy. Right. And so the worry here, just so folks understand, is that um, the concern when people talk about potential security risks here is that TikTok will be forced by the Chinese government to give up data on Americans. But how do we know that hasn't already happened? Well, it is already happening. We know that TikTok has special operations with the Chinese Communist Party to track geolocation data. These articles coming out of Forbes, you know, over the past few months have revealed that there's extensive communication between the leadership uh, in Beijing and the TikTok leadership. And so we know that this is being used to compromise the data and we're simply just waiting to, you know, for it to get worse. We need to get it off the devices of these Americans. Right, and former President Trump did move to ban this app that was walked back by the Biden administration, a mistake? Uh, no, I think, you know, well, it was a mistake for Biden to uh, walk it back, but you know, President Trump was absolutely right in moving to ban it because it is the only solution. And it really is as simple as putting pen to paper and then the app is gone, right? It vanishes. Apple is forced to remove this from the devices. Google is forced to remove it from the devices. So there's really nothing to be waiting for here. It needs to happen today. So and as we see these states um, make this march toward more secure for more security for their employees, let's just say all the states do it. That still leaves tens of millions of teenagers out there, a lot of young people who have been they've been making selfies ever since they were born, practically. Right. They see and you probably see you're pretty young um, security in it through a different lens than, let's say, I see my own security and privacy. That's correct. And ultimately, let's be clear here, this ban from these states only is in effect for government phones, right? So the government device, your cell phone from work, isn't allowed to have TikTok on it anymore. But the device, you know, your personal device, which you're logged into the work Wi-Fi on, can have TikTok. Your child's device has TikTok. Our, you know, most uh, important critical industries, whether it be regional power companies to, you know, massive corporations, all the executives' phones could have TikTok on them. We have countless amounts of private data at Jeopardy here. And, you know, a ban from, you know, our state governments is great. It does a lot. But, you know, governors can't be doing this all by themselves. We need federal intervention to make sure that this app isn't jeopardizing our national security. Yeah, I'm just trying to imagine a bunch of members of Congress who are older than I am discussing TikTok. 
Yeah, no, and it's very clear that there's just kind of a lack of understanding as to how this has been ingrained in the lives of our children and a lot of our young adults, right? You know, you're entering the workforce out of college here. You're going to these major corporations and you're taking TikTok with you. And that's tracking your geolocation data. It's tracking your keystrokes. They know every single thing you're typing into that app. And then it's all logged and used against you. It never disappears. And so every day that it remains on your phone is another day of data collection. Yeah, we need generational translators in there, I think, um, if this ever gets makes it there. So, Jake Denton, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And that was uh, Steak for Breakfast Enjoyer making his Fox Sunday debut this weekend, Jake Denton. What was he wearing? He was dressed very <laughs> handsomely. Nice. Yeah, nice suit, and uh, Jake's always looking good. Guys, welcome to the show. Coming in hot out of the weekend, we uh, are encouraging everyone to find us on social medias, just... Search Steak for Breakfast, hit the link tree there, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, subscribe to our Substack. You're also going to get a weekly newsletter included in that, everything that's coming up on Steaks, including guests, plus a recap of the week that was, all the shows, and uh, op-eds we put out. So something we don't talk about enough on here probably is, is, is TikTok and the whole CCP component to it. I mean, no one reads licensing agreements more that I know than the man sitting across me right now. Let's just say I've never downloaded the app. There you go. Noah, uh, she did make a pretty good argument there. These governors coming out and saying, let's, you know, we saw Christy Noam get ahead of it just about close to a month ago now and uh, say they're going to be banning it from, you know, government work phones. That's really uh, kind of a gray area because if you're banning it from your government phones, which a lot of people probably don't have social media apps like TikTok on, and then you uh, have your own personal phone with you in the same context, and you have all of these apps on there, Instagram, TikTok, and stuff. Does it really make a difference if you're banning it from the government phone? Well, yeah, because if you're, I mean, depending on the settings, I mean, if you have, if you're doing uh, like airdrops to the other phone, I mean, you could be just inadvertently giving access to both phones with this app because they have this uh Weird. Also, if you're like connected to the same internet, so if you have your personal phone and you're connecting, if you take your work phone home with you and you're connecting to your your Wi-Fi at the house, yeah, it's a it's a very parasitic system that they have, and and it's just China casting this wide net because there's mm-hmm. there's people that are completely careless with just government information, let alone yeah. personal. So when people intertwine the two and then download tick tick TikTok on their on their phone, then it's a recipe for disaster. And all they have to do is just data mine all this information. And then eventually they might get something, a little hot tidbit that's, you know, the equivalent of a stay exclusive. Ooh, I like that. I mean, we have seen uh, them be very interested in the data leaks from places like Equifax. And then you want to talk about uh, intellectual property. We know we've always had a huge issue with the Chinese regarding that. And, uh, you know, coming out with stuff that's just a little bit different. They come out with like the Air Fordens, not the Air Jordans. Or they, oh, or they just no, they just legitimately just make the fakes of whatever it is. I mean, you've heard stories uh, in China where there's a production factory that makes a certain uh, design designer item for the United States that gets shipped over. But when that factory closes for the night, or the night yeah. shift shows up and they start making exactly the same thing to sell. Yep. And yeah, it's just shittier, shittier material. Yeah, but sometimes it's the identical factory with the materials and everything, mm-hmm. you know? So you can't even tell the difference. <laughs> now, Antoinette, out of the three of us, you're probably the only one that could... Uh, Afford some of this shit? Well, that and, and get away with actually taking selfies because no one wants to see Noah or myself. But the fact this of the matter true. is, 
you really don't buy into this whole uh, you need to have these apps to have a social media presence and, and really don't buy into the fact that, uh, you know, having them on their phone is something standard that we all need to have as well, right? Yeah, no. And I mean, when it comes to TikTok, you know, for example, I really, oof, I've been like really cautious about that app for a very long time, especially when Trump said, you know, mentioned it in that, you know, we should not have that on our devices. But in general, no, I don't think you need social media for anything like that. But at the same time, you do. It just depends on what you're doing. Yeah, it's a different era that we live in now. And 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 it's almost just like, it's not so much that you have to do it. It's just what people do now. Like, yeah, oh, you don't have a it, Twitter? Like, what do you live in the dark ages? Right. No, I'm see, I'm just very turned off of it, all of it because I had to be a part of that world and, you know, in Hollywood and whatnot. But then I just saw like the tide completely turn and everything go to social media. And mm-hmm. when I came from like a more of an old school kind of, you know, yeah. modeling background, acting background, and I'm just like, Ugh, like the whole selfie culture just is gross. To yeah. Me. They, they used to I be able remember to, the last time I, I took a selfie. You used to be able to hand people like a physical headshot and now they want to tap cell phones with you so you can download your whole, you yeah. know, they want your social media. Let's yep. see your social media. That's how they get hired. It's like ridiculous. Mm. But everybody's a model nowadays. Well, that's true as well. Especially yeah. those uh, Noah's favorite, the plus plus size ones. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Not really my favorite, no. No, you know what? Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. It, it, <laughs> obviously, if you're happy and plus size, good for you. Um, yeah. Nothing against that. I mean, probably healthier things you could do with your life. Stop right. eating. However... <laughs> We can't stop eating completely because then that would be unhealthy. Okay. But uh, I digress. Yeah, as do all of us. I saw uh, Senator Rubio jump on with Boomer Sluts last night, and they were talking about this. Let's hear it. You heard Newt Gingrich on earlier, and he was talking about the fact that Republicans would be better served if they went on social media platforms. And he did mention TikTok. Uh, You're calling for every American to get off of TikTok. I am. And two reasons. Number one is they're scooping up a bunch of data. Okay, your data is on your phone. All that data from your kids and anybody else. They're just scooping all of that up. And if the Chinese government asks for it, they have to turn it over. So they know a tremendous amount about Americans in general, about our society, about what messages work. It gives them a huge advantage, not to mention the individual data of people that they can acquire. But here's the second thing that we now know, and it's been documented. Chinese state-run media entities are posting things, like making them look like news stories, on TikTok, okay, designing it to go after voters. They tried to interfere in this election. They attacked me. They attacked uh, Governor Abbott and Senator Cruz in Texas. Uh, They they did, uh, in a series of states, these uh, Chinese-run media outlets, and with really small disclaimers on the bottom, so you can't even tell it's being produced by them. It's a CCTV uh, is producing these attack ads against Republicans on TikTok for free and using the, the, the algorithms to target people that they know live in those states or care about these issues. They have, they have weaponized that against us now in our election cycle. Forbes had a piece on that not too long ago. So I think TikTok should have been banned a long time ago. I wish President Trump would have done it. He was close to doing it. It needs to be done now. Yeah, no, he makes a great point there. You know, Ronna McDaniel, one of the biggest knocks I have on her in addition to all her you know, resounding failures over the last three election cycles was she came out recently and said not being on TikTok was a huge uh, play to Republicans not having the success they could have had in the midterm elections. I can't really disagree with her more on that. She did. I mean, she also blamed abortion as well. But, you know, when you're trying to say you've done a good job by doing literally the worst job possible, there's only, as you often say, so many different ways you can polish a turd. Mm. 
Yeah. So, so the, the picture that the meme that kid where he's just like squinting his eyes and, and grinning with his big buck teeth. Good job. Yeah, exactly. At least, <laughs> or the at least you tried cake. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So you know, uh, a lot of people are seem to be circling back to that narrative. They wish President Trump would have done it. I don't know what the why he did wasn't able to get it done. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on with the pandemic and then the whole uh, fake insurrection that happened, but. I just think that, you know, we really need to take a look at this more because it's something we don't give enough attention to. It, it kind of goes, it's like the outer orbit of Beltway politics, but when you look at it in a geopolitical sense and then the CCP's involvement, what they're doing it and why, you know, especially how Senator Rubio uh, kind of framed targeted Americans, you know, in, in some of those states where you have Christy Nome, Greg Abbott, banning it on, on federal devices, and now they're running like smear pieces on them. Let's hit the Wayback Machine just a little bit. To last year, congressional hearing, Senator Hawley took one of the higher execs from TikTok for a little bit of a ride. Let's hear him. It's the first foreign-based application, social media application, that has taken off in the United States. Nobody else has been able to do that. Why? Because their artificial intelligence, their algorithm, is so good. TikTok was At 40, Republican Josh Hawley is the youngest member of the U.S. Senate and a former attorney general of Missouri. A staunch supporter of President Trump, he's earned bipartisan support for exposing the excesses of big tech. Google, Facebook, and Apple have all been in his sights. Now it's TikTok. So we'll start off then with, I'll kind of frame it, and then we'll go into the TikTok questions. We were with him last March as he prepared to chair a subcommittee hearing that he called dangerous partners, big tech and Beijing. But TikTok and Apple were no-shows. Executives from TikTok, they will never come and take the oath and testify in public. That, I think, is unusual. And I think it begs the question, what is it they have to hide? TikTok will tell you that it's a platform for free expression. And they sort of market themselves as the sunniest place on the Internet. Here's the problem with TikTok as it exists now. It is owned by a Chinese parent company that has direct ties to the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, and we also know that under Chinese law, TikTok, ByteDance, the parent, is required to share data with the Chinese Communist Party. Required. Required to under Chinese law. That's not a matter of speculation, that's in the law. American users, parents, teenagers, they'd have no way of knowing about any of this. And that's that's the truth right there. The, the data mining that they're performing when it goes, you know, when when you're talking about in China and, and in regards to the laws that the CCP has in regards to these social media applications and stuff like that, they have to be transparent in sharing what they're doing, where they're broadcasting, what the message, especially the ones coming out of China, are, and and then what data are they getting back? And it just it gives an unfair advantage. I I think it's weird, like he said, the first foreign application of this nature to be this big and this popular. And it's like a completely different app in the United States than the one, you know, that the, the version of TikTok that they get inside of China is. And, and how yeah, it's, it's actually pretty wholesome in China. Yeah. Right. Well, it's not just showing videos of people getting sprayed by <laughs> the COVID police. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the fastest draw in the West one the other day? There was a guy who was like interviewing someone at like one of those COVID camps. Yeah, and, I mentioned that, and he like double sprays him. Yeah, the yeah. person. Yeah, that was. I, I tried to see if that was like a sped up video. It was not. No, Everything he was else good. Wow. Yeah, he got all those particulates and droplets. Because mm. the mask wouldn't have worked for that. The person had two masks on. No. Oh. Well. Yeah. Exactly. 
Another stake for Breakfast Enjoyer I saw on Newsmax the other day is former congressman and current CEO of Truth Social, Devin Nunes, and he was talking about this as well as it still remains, you know, a big concern to everyone in Trump world. I, I don't I don't think we uh, will definitely see President Trump using this as part of his campaign platform when he's talking about regulating big tech. I think getting TikTok out of the United States is probably one of the things that is going to be kind of popular when you kind of break down the uh, blueprint of what the CCP is doing. Let's hear the former congressman weigh in on his narrative on the whole TikTok thing. If, and action should be taken. And if the House sees this stuff, they shouldn't wait. They should make the Senate vote against it and make, uh, make uh, Biden veto it if by some chance right. some of those Democrats in the majority in the Senate grow a conscience. Uh, don't know, but we'll see. In the meantime, states right. like Texas and Indiana are moving to track down or crack down, I should say, uh, TikTok violations. We know that this app is collecting massive amounts of metadata for China. Put it, put it into perspective for the folks at home who are not social media experts like you. Just how dangerous is the TikTok app compared to what uh, the other apps that we're using out there today? Well, look, let me take you back to the Trump administration. Everyone in the Trump administration, including us in Congress, Republicans in Congress, who actually started this initial investigation nearly a decade ago, looking into what China was doing globally using technology, what people need to know, and I'm just going to grab my phone right here, you know, this is device now it gets more and more powerful. It is a it is a tracking device and it's really tough unless you're a, a, an absolute tech wizard. You know, you don't even know how to turn everything off. So it's pretty easy to be tracked. So what the Chinese have been doing is that they are installing they're using TikTok, and they can they can grab all of that intelligence and take it back to China. Now, look, other U.S. companies can do the same thing. I think there's concerns there with partnerships once again with the left that can get certain types of data that then Republican politicians cannot get. But regardless, just to go back to the Trump administration tried to get tried to get TikTok, was trying to negotiate a deal. If you remember, there was an attempt to get American companies to buy it. And then poof, the Biden administration comes in. That's all over with. And China goes upon business as usual. Which seems to, you know, normally be the case there. Um, I think moving forward, I mean, obviously we have a couple people in the, in the tech field who are, you know, regular guests on the show and we're going to have to keep touching on this. It's going to be interesting to see. There is a long to do list. Uh, the 118th Congress has when, when they're sworn in on January 3rd, I think first and foremost is probably going to be the U S Southern border. Um, I think the investigations into the Biden crime family is probably one a, and then, you, you know, you start to get into some of the more policy driven, uh, work that, you know, they're going to need to put up through the House of Representatives into the Senate if he can get to Joe Biden's desk like Devin Nunes uh, speculated, just let him veto it and give the American people a receipt that Republicans are offering a solution for someone that's compromising probably, if not personal security, national security on some levels. I mean, you do have a lot of people in Congress. I know AOC is a TikTok enjoyer and, and you know, you get all those old bags in the Congress, too, who have their staffers using it. But even on the Republican side, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, the Gosar girls, uh, I, I mean, I know they're pretty good at social media. But, you know, one of the things he said, and, and we have to, you know, kind of keep it in reality, is if you don't think places like Meta and Google are doing this to its own citizens w without CCP involvement, then, you know, you, you kind of have to take a, a hard look in the mirror because, Data mining has just become something – there's very few applications when you put them onto your phone that are going to ask you if you want to take off location services 
which means just about the rest of them are having the location services on and trying to track your data. So unless you're someone like Noah who knows everything about tech and, and probably... I wish I knew more. Yeah, ha- has almost an invisible footprint <laughs> on the internet. It's yeah. like uh, in the old Batman movie, the original one, where like the Joker was like putting all the uh, chemicals inside the uh, the deodorants and hairsprays and stuff like that, and you had to mix specific ones together. It's like, well, what if what if it is something like that? What if all these terms of service, you downloaded TikTok, right? And then you got the fist bump uh, business card sharing app on your phone. And then you have one other thing that's super common. And with those powers combined, they have all your shit. Yeah. 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 Think of that. yeah no, I mean, and, and at some point, like there's people who use a lot of different securities on their, on their home computers and on their cell phones. Let's just say things like VPNs. What's the point of having all that stuff if you're just blindly sharing your data with all of these big tech companies, whether it's because you know you are and you just don't care because you're more interested in likes and shares or it's because they're they're mining it in the background and you just have no idea. Well, and then stuff like, you know, if you're a parent, your kids are downloading these games. Yeah. Like, who knows? Yep. No, it's it's because, listen, where do a lot of these games originate out of? China. Yeah, that's the thing, and we're going to keep tracking on that now. We're going to switch gears a little bit and uh, jump on the phones and bring in one of our uh, reoccurring and favorite guests. Joining us first on the show today, he's a syndicated columnist. He's an opinion editor at Newsweek and the host of the Josh Hammer Show. Coming in hot, Mr. Josh Hammer, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure, guys. Good to see you again. No, it's great to have you back on. You've become one of our more enjoyable segments on the show, and we love hosting you. How's everything going with you? Busy, but good. You know, I enjoyed the New York Young Republicans Club Gala this past Saturday night. I know you guys are a fan of our mutual friend, Gavin Wax. I had a great time at that gala. Flying out this Sunday for a -a two-and-a-half-week vacation, so I'm looking forward to that. But for now, just grinding away. Nice. We like to... uh... We love all of our friends at the New York Young Republicans Club, Gavin and then Vish Burra, Raheem Kassam, of course, all reoccurring guests on the show. So are a lot of the other people who just attended the event as well. Uh, we'll, t- we'll touch on that in just a little bit. but uh, And then you taking a vacation. The more we hear it, the more we love it because our download numbers go up while everybody's taking breaks from their show. So <laughs> we hope you have a great vacation. Listen, Josh, one of the things we don't talk about enough on our show, but I think it's becoming a reoccurring issue, uh, you know, and it's getting outside of the beltway now. I heard you talk about it on Tucker Carlson last week. It's the... Concerns that you're having with leadership over in the ADL, I, th- I th- definitely think it's something we need to examine, especially when it goes uh, in contrast to things like the the revelations we're getting from the Twitter files and, and, and things like that. You, you have some big concerns as well, and I wanted you to kind of unpack it a little bit for our listenership today. Sure. So the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, was founded after the tragic lynching of a Jewish man who was wrongfully accused named Leo Frank back in Georgia in around 1915 or so. And for decades and decades, it was America's leading institution combating anti-Semitism. It was always liberal, but it was never oppressively liberal or leftist. It was it was fairly bipartisan or bipartisan-ish. They started to change around the time that the former head, uh, Abraham Foxman, Abe Foxman, started stepping down around 2014. And then Jonathan Greenblatt, his successor, took over in 2015. And Jonathan Greenblatt is a partisan Democratic hack. I mean, he is an Obama administration lackey, and, and he has transformed what was and continues to be in the eyes of many, perhaps most, the most important anti-anti-Semitism institution in America. He has turned it from a fairly bipartisan player into just another member of kind of the intersectional identity politics leftist alphabet soup coalition. So, you know, he talks about fighting Islamophobia just as often as fighting anti-Semitism. And 
at a time of actually increasing anti-Semitism, this is, you know, this is tragic. This is really, really terrible there. And I, I have long been a foe of Jonathan Greenblatt. Um, the good news is that there are increasingly people in the Jewish community, of which I'm, of course, a member, who are paying attention to these topics. And there are some new organizations, one's called JLP, the Jewish Leadership Project, uh, which is basically trying to expose the institutional rot in some of these other institutions like the ADL. And there's another new group called Anti-Semitism Watch, which basically exists to track anti-Semitism because as the founders of that group say, the ADL won't do it themselves. So Jonathan Greenblatt is very bad. Um, as I said with Tucker last week, if he had a morsel of integrity, he would resign tomorrow. But tragically, I don't think he will do so. And then do you think this is just kind of like, a continuation. You mentioned his his connections to the Obama administration and how much of an appreciator of that he was. Their, you know, kind of plan to just lay out not just anti-Semitism, but like make that not the most important focal point while normalizing everything else, which is essentially bad for society. You mentioned Islamophobiaism and stuff like that. And it just seems like if you're going to continue to just push like the woke narrative on everything, all of the important stuff, like you mentioned, uh, the rise of anti-Semitism. Again, we've seen it very prevalent in the news cycles lately. I want to touch on you with that in just a second. Uh, but do you think it kind of gets lost in the sauce and makes it lose its importance of, of how there's just no room in society for that today? 100%. I mean, think back to Ilan Omar back when she first started in Congress in February, March 2019. So she had this, it was, it was like her first month and a half in Congress. I mean, she couldn't wait very long, but she had some quote about how, um, she was, I think she was talking about APAC, if I recall, and she was like, it's all about the Benjamins, baby. And then maybe she had some other kind of vaguely or explicitly anti-Semitic comments. And Many people thought that the House was going to cast a vote simply condemning anti-Semitism, but no, Nancy Pelosi actually watered down the resolution and it was just a general kind of vague and amorphous condemnation of various hatreds, you know, racism, xenophobia, homophobia, whatever. And obviously that has the effect of watering down a condemnation of anti-Semitism, obviously. And the exact same thing applies here. You know, the ADL was founded, it was literally founded to combat anti-Semitism. And it's just trash that they have expanded their mission. Frankly, this happens to a lot of organizations. You know, mission creep is like a real thing. I mean, yeah. as you get as you as you take on more and more missions, you you lose sight of why you were founded in the first place. The the tragedy of Jonathan Greenblatt is multifold. One is that Again, this is happening at a time of actually rising anti-Semitism. So we actually could use an organization like the old school ADL that was at least reasonably effective at calling this out. Second, he's just such a hack. I mean, he is just such a partisan leftist and he makes it impossible for anyone who is centrist or even vaguely right of center to like the guy. And he says just dumb things over and over again. So just last Friday, I, I, the, the day that I was flying up to New York for this gala, I saw someone in my Twitter feed talking about how Jonathan Greenblatt was referring to the black Hebrew Israelites, which is a fringy fringe group if there ever were one. These are the pieces of you know what that shot up a kosher supermarket in Jersey City three years ago. These are yeah. bad people. They they praise Hitler. They're bad people. Jonathan Greenblatt apparently referred to them as practicing a quote lesser or less traditional form of Judaism. Uh, I mean, like, hmm. like, like go to hell, dude. Yeah. Like, like literally go to hell. Like what that yeah. is doing is you are implicitly actually kind of lending legitimacy to people like Kanye who are out there kind of saying the blacks are the real Jews, all this stuff as well. So at this at this point, he's not only not helping, he's possibly counterproductive. 
No, you you make an excellent point there. And then when you kind of tie it into that narrative of things that like they're trying to normalize, it just takes away from the real issues that are going on now. You mentioned Kanye West. We've seen people like him and Nick Fuentes back in the news cycle. Listen, I've listened to you give some commentary on Nick Fuentes and, and Kanye West's uh, rhetoric over the last couple of months. Uh, on your show and other programs that you've been on, we are in the exact same demographic there. We think that is just garbage human narrative and it's provided from garbage human. So the fact of the matter is, though, how, how have we gotten to a point to where people that are so big and influential uh, like Kanye West can have people like Nick Fuentes in his ear and then you start to see like these the commentary that he's given in regards, just making anti-Semitic remarks and then trying to normalize people like Hitler and, and, and you know, uh, not give credit to the to the atrocities that were the Holocaust, and it just be like, you know, we've we've come to grow in this this society now where the news cycle is running twenty four seven three sixty five, and it's like every shiny thing comes out of nowhere. Where let's just say twenty thirty years ago, you could have these people probably being prosecuted for making the same kind of comments. So look, I mean, I am not a psychologist, but it seems to me like Kanye West is having a full scale mental breakdown yeah. for the entire world to see. I mean, that has been my read on this since the get go. I think he has spoken about how he has like multiple personality or bipolar or some sort of other kind of generally recognized mental psychological illness that doesn't excuse what he has been saying in any way. It doesn't make it any less vile and horrific because it is, it, it is exactly that is vile and horrific, but he's having a, a, a genuine mental breakdown. It's frankly sad to see. Mm-hmm. Um, also, why are Kanye West family and friends not helping him? Why are they not trying to get him help right now? I don't have a good answer to that question. I really don't know. And then you have these you know, low life grifters, people like Nick Fuentes, yeah. who are just you know trying to kind of glom on. They're, they're they're taking cynical advantage of this very famous man's mental breakdown as a as a conduit, as a means to 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 elevate themselves, to boost their own platforms. That's all Milo Yiannopoulos was trying to do. That's all Nick Fuentes was trying to do. How specifically Kanye and Nick Fuentes, of all people, possibly connected? I have no idea. I mean, Milo seemed like he was like the, the the middleman of sorts there. Your guess is as good as mine. I will say that the entire story of them going to Mar-a-Lago was so bizarre. To, yeah. And I, what I said in my podcast was someone probably was staging and funding this because I don't think these are sophisticated enough operatives to pull this off themselves, to be honest with you. But Another thing that's just like striking, you know, that first video that emerged at Miami International Airport, not far from where I live, of Kanye and Nick Fuentes walking through the terminal with like the matching blue jackets, whatever they were wearing. I mean, does Kanye West know or care? I mean, I mean, hold aside the juice. Like, does Kanye West know what Nick Fuentes says about black people? Yeah. I mean, like, it's pretty vile stuff. Nick Fuentes has openly defended Jim Crow segregation. He says segregation was better for whites. It was better for blacks. Who cares? We drink out of separate water fountains. I mean, the, the guy is just an irredeemable piece of you know what. Yep. So uh, your guess is it is as good a mine as to how they possibly found each other. But it seems to me that like there's a player involved here who we have not seen yet. No, you make a a good point there. And the fact of the matter, I mean, we've tried to educate our listenership the best. Listen, everybody's going to have their own take. Everybody's going to have their own opinion. You want to know what that person is about, you know, just – and we've told them, go on Twitter, search Nick Fuentes N-Word. And there's clip after clip of him jokingly, you know, saying that it slipped, but it still makes it to his show. The the receipts are still there. And and when you talk about that narrative combined to the fact that he's got an ear – with so much, you know, influence as Kanye West does right now, and and now he's starting to regurgitate some of the the same things. It's a sad way to see his career end. 
uh, in my opinion, but, but even more sadder that in this day and age, we can still have such hateful rhetoric uh, being normalized in the mainstream. And, and I just got, you know, ro- no room in our repertoire for it over here. We don't we don't tolerate that at all. I do want to talk about something probably a little bit more wholesome than, than any of the stuff we've had with you so far, Josh. And that was the gala, the New York Young Republican Club's gala that happened over the weekend. A lot of our great mutual friends were there. There was a lot of great speakers. Why don't you give our listenership a little bit of insight on to how the event went? Sure. So the event was fabulous. Um, you know, Gavin Wax, who's a friend, he's a, he's the president of the club. He, I, I've been to this gala now two years in a row. I, I joined the advisory board. I can't remember exactly when, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, something along those lines. So I've been to both the galas since I joined the advisory board. And Gavin puts on a great show. I mean, they rent out a, a beautiful venue. We'll probably have to find a bigger space next year. Yeah. Um, I, I think we've probably outgrown our size this time. Um, you know, I was, I, I was seated uh, at a table with, um, it, it was a great table. I was at the same table uh, with Raheem Kassam, with Jack Posobiec and his wife, Tanya, uh, with Danielle D'Souza and her, and her wonderful husband, um, and with Rob Smith. We were, we were at a great table, uh, you know, it was a stage side. Um, Don Jr. I thought gave a great speech. He's a very powerful public speaker in general. Always, always, always fun to listen to. Uh, Raheem was, was, uh, you know, Raheem's a good buddy of mine. He was as funny as ever. Yeah. Uh, he was, he was on point. I, I was like belly laughing at some of his lines. Um, a lot of his jokes were at our mutual friend, Matthew Tierman's expense. And I had, a, I had a really good time kind of just sitting there kind of poking fun at, at, at my own friend as well. So it was, it was a really great time. The only thing that I, that I'll say is there was an infiltration. Um, it appears that some leftist hacks from the discredited Southern Poverty Law Center finagled their way into this. I don't know exactly how they did so, but um, you know, I've, I've chatted with Gavin about this and I have no doubt that we're going to put in some measures for the gala next year to ensure that this does not happen again. Yeah, I saw some of that. And I mean, give give the Republicans an opportunity to have a good time and you'll find some crazy leftists to try and ruin it. But overall, I think it looked like the mood and the atmosphere. And I've, I definitely saw a lot of the, the speeches that have come out on social media or clips that people who attended the event as well, who I'm friends with, have sent me. And it looked like uh, nationalist populism is alive and well. What do you think? Yeah, I think I, I, I very much think so. Look, the, 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 also one thing that people have probably not talked about enough, some people have, but there were actually a lot of Europeans there, a lot of members yeah. of European Parliament. There were a lot of foreigners here. And, you know, my friend Matthew Tiermont, who I just mentioned, who is extraordinarily well connected in European conservative circles, is probably responsible for bringing in a lot of these folks from Europe. And I'm a huge proponent of that. I'm a huge proponent of kind of national conservative, conservative populist movement in various countries trying to learn from each other. You know, I, I'm a research fellow at the Edmund Burke Foundation, which is kind of the home for national conservatism. And we do these conferences both in the U.S. and in Europe. I spoke at the NACON conference in Brussels, actually, back in March. And the, the whole goal of these conferences is to bring conservatives from various countries in an attempt to try to learn strategies, ideas, try to formulate better policies and laws and so forth. So you saw some of that at this gala as well there. Um, like I said, I mean, like, you know, it was borderline overflow capacity. Um, I, I think we're definitely going to need a bigger venue at, at this event next year. Um, you know, the one thing that I will say, which was interesting because Gavin, you know, has, I think, quite successfully turned the club into kind of a a, a bastion of kind of NatCon, NatPop style of right of center politics. Yep. That, that crowd, from what I could tell, was actually quite split on the 2024 stuff, which was very interesting for me to see because the club, of course, has formally endorsed President Trump. But I, I, based on my conversations and the applause lines and everything, it seems to me like there was definitely some disagreement in the room. So that was just very interesting for me to see as well. 
I know you're definitely waiting to see if Florida Governor Ron DeSantis throws his name in the hat, but uh, we'll keep track of that as well. And Josh, as always, this is great having you jump on with us and uh, share a little bit of your insight. We think it's very important to the conservative movement. We really do appreciate the work that you do. And then to give our listenership a little bit of uh, commentary on the gala, that's something you can't get in a lot of other places. We're going to live link your podcast in the show description today. But for everybody that's not following you already, where can we find you on social media? Sure. So Twitter, Josh underscore hammer. And, you know, just in general, go to newsweek.com slash opinion. That's our op-ed section. My podcast is called the Josh hammer show, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. I've got a new, I've got a new, new weekly newsletter for newsweek as well called the Josh hammer report. So you can find that at newsweek.com in the newsletter section of the website. Got to subscribe to it. And then once you get back after the first of the year, we'll see what you're working on. And then of course, extend you an invitation to come back on the show as you're always welcome here on steak for breakfast. This is the opinion editor at newsweek host of the Josh hammer show. Josh Hammer, have a great holidays. Thanks for coming on with us. Merry Christmas, guys. Thanks for having me. Take care. The biggest single group we have ever seen during our border coverage crossed illegally into El Paso, Texas right now. And we'll get right to that stunning footage. Take a look at this. This was Sunday night in El Paso, an enormous migrant caravan of well over 1,000 people crossed illegally into El Paso last night. El Paso media reporting it is potentially the biggest mass crossing in the city's history, potentially at least in decades. And you can see from this video, wave after wave after wave of hundreds of these migrants just walking across the river and then gathering on the U.S. side of the river. They form a single file line, which you'll see in the video at some points goes as far as the eye can see. It was chilly in El Paso last night. You'll see some of those migrants start campfires on the U.S. side of the river as they are waiting to be processed by Border Patrol. CBP sources telling Fox News in the last 24 hours alone that El Paso sector has had nearly 2,400 illegal crossings. They've got more than 5,000 people in custody right now. In the city of El Paso is reporting as of this morning, Border Patrol has already started mass releasing several hundred migrants to El Paso city streets as Border Patrol is completely overwhelmed. So where did all these migrants come from? Take a look at this video we shot in Ciudad Juarez yesterday. These buses of migrants, about 20 of them, received a Mexican police escort to the border. You can see in this video, Mexican police guiding about 20 of these migrant buses, all of them full of migrants, into Ciudad Juarez, the Mexican city across from El Paso, where they were dropped off at NGOs and shelters. The migrants didn't stay at those shelters. They, they then walked down to the river and crossed illegally into El Paso en masse. And it's happening all along the border. Take a look at this third piece of video. Eagle Pass this morning, our team up there in the pre-dawn hours finding a group of nearly 500 migrants that crossed illegally all at the same time. As you can see, almost all of them single adults. Eagle Pass getting hammered in recent days. A couple days ago, a group of 702. Then over the weekend, a group of 650. And it's having an impact on Border Patrol infrastructure up there. Last video we want to show you, take a look at this. Our drone team shot this over the weekend in Eagle Pass. This is Border Patrol's, uh, they call it a soft side facility, the tent processing mm. facility on the north side of Eagle Pass where they process migrants. It's got a capacity of 1,000. Well, over the weekend, they started overflowing. You can see lines of migrants waiting outside, waiting to get inside. There were Border Patrol vans loaded up with migrants that couldn't unload because they had to clear space on the inside. Border Patrol is just overwhelmed in multiple sectors on the border right now. And keep, uh, back out here live, keep in mind, all that video you just saw is with Title 42 still in place right now. It is set to drop in nine days, and all of our Border Patrol sources are telling us you can expect pretty much chaos and a surge on top of a surge when it finally drops. We'll say oh, nobody loves a surge more on top of a surge.
than uh, we do here on Steak for Breakfast. Those... Extra, extra surgery over there. Oh, my goodness. What a weekend they had down there. We pray for all of our uh, brave. If, if any of you haven't seen the actual footage of that, like uh, Roan was showing me the phone over the over the table here, it's it's epic. It looks like, I mean, you think the lines at Disneyland are long. <laughs> No fast pass there. Well, technically there is a fast pass. It's all fast pass. Yeah. So I did see some uh, stats come out from over the weekend. And, uh, again, we want to always pray for our, our border guards and, and how tough their job has been over the course of the last couple of years since the start of the Biden administration. This is from the official count of U.S. Border Patrol Chief Raul Ortiz put it out yesterday just over the weekend and heading into Monday, 16,000 encounters in, uh, on the U.S. southern border. Uh, over $97 million in narcotics was interdicted. Four firearms were recovered. One of them was stolen. They were able to apprehend three gang members, two sex offenders, two murderers, two people that had outstanding warrants, and treated one minor child for an injury. In addition to that, we've had... Those are those are small numbers of those uh, interdictions of firearms and people, though. That's just a snapshot right there. To no, but, like, I mean... What we're seeing, so that the high number for the drugs is because drugs are worth a lot. Right. Right? Especially the fentanyl. So if you were catching normal amounts of drugs, that number would be astronomically higher. And what? Four firearms? One of them was stolen. Ooh. It's like, are you going to do one of those, like, police pictures where they have, like, the four firearms on the table? Right. And then behind them, the... Like uh, a bag of weed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and a bag of weed and then the 16,000 migrants that they let in. Yeah, they're not going to fit on the table. That Bill Malugin report was pretty uh, interesting, uh, definitely confirming a little bit more catch and release that the migrant detention camps that they've set up along the southern border are so overran that they are just taking them by the hundreds and releasing them into the streets of El Paso and places like that. Yeah, there was uh, there was reporting from, what was it, Allie Bradley? I don't know what network she's with. Okay. Uh, says, quote-unquote, Border Patrol sources telling me they're being directed to, quote-unquote again, process faster and get at least 10,000 migrants out of BP custody, quotes again, by any means, Oof. ahead of DHS Secretary, Secretary Mayorkas' visit tomorrow. Huh. Agents say migrants will be returned voluntarily or released with an NTA notice to appear. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Wait. And, and it is just the tip of the iceberg as Title 42 is set to expire in just eight days, which would kind of remove another one of the safeguards from Trump-era border policies into being able to return migrants. What's the over-under on them pushing it one more time? No. Nah. I just think I just think the optics of fucking over everybody that works on the southern border right before Christmas is kind of shitty. Like, I don't even, I don't even think Biden wants to do that. I don't know how it works for people that work in DHS, but I can only safely assume that's what sick leave is for. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the fact of the matter is, is that's going to get really ugly. And uh, I saw Brandon Judd, who's the Border Patrol president of the union there yesterday. He jumped on Newsmax with Rob Schmidt. He gave a little bit of commentary on it. Let's hear it. This is the appetizer. What we're seeing right now is just the tip of the iceberg. This is going to uh, go into complete chaos. I, I, I mean... It's, it's hard to say that because we're already at chaos, but we've just never even, we, we would have never dreamed that we would be in this, in the current situation that we're in. And it's going to get even worse. And that's going to make it even more dangerous for American citizens. It's crazy what this administration is willing to do um, to appease its open border. 
You know, and I had, I had heard reports. Uh, I can't find like too much substantial on it that Brandon Judd ha- has willing has been willing to compromise with uh, Democrat senators in regards to the amnesty to you know like a trade for border security. I haven't necessarily seen that in too much context yet. At some of the we can't trade for some arms dealers or anything. Well, we've already done that. Oh shit! We'll get into that a little bit later too. Um, you know, but. I just think it's it's really scary to hear some of these numbers and and again when you don't know anything about it and you're just listening to the numbers they kind of like, you know, roll right off your back, but the fact of the matter is go check out some of Bill Malusian's videos that he's put up on his official feeds and uh see some of the work that people like Jorge Ventura uh check him out too on social media is the amount of like when he said he's busy. Yeah, there was a single file line and you couldn't see the end of it. When their drone panned out, you couldn't see the end of it. And that's like at elevation. Yeah. Like that's you're, – you're taking into consideration the curvature of the earth, if that's really a thing. No, mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. It's not that show anymore. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so uh, former Russiagate proprietor and current spokesman for uh, the Department of Defense, Jake Sullivan, was asked about this yesterday – and uh, I'm pretty sure he, he's going to talk about operational security. Let's hear him in the White House press pool. Do you have any sense of how many people are coming across that they have that there is no visibility on? How many people are crossing that you have no idea who they are? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not sure I understand the question. How many people are crossing the border um, that the U.S. government has no idea? Um, like estimates of how many people crossing aren't giving their name, aren't giving IDs, aren't able to verify who they are. So we do have estimates of how many encounters there are at the border on a daily basis. We have processes and procedures in place to identify those individuals, to process them in an orderly fashion, and then to do what is appropriate based on that processing. Just let them into the U.S. we believe that that system uh, is a system that does don't say it works an effective job uh, of being able uh, to determine who is coming across the border and what the right way to deal with their case is. So catch and release is is now the standard uh, practice for the U.S. government when it comes to migrant encounters on the U.S. border. So what you're telling me is that the literal trash cans full of IDs that people are <laughs> picking up on the other side of the, let's say, what, over in El Paso yep. or Rio Grande, Rio Grande, that them not having those IDs on their person makes it easier to identify them. Well, everybody's Bill Smith born on January 1st. Pick the year. No? Yeah. Bill Smith? Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Uh, Jesus Smith. <laughs> <laughs> One, there two. You no, it's it, it's scary. I mean, we, we make a little, a little bit of a joke about it, but the fact of the matter. You have to joke about it because it's going to be decades of infrastructure to take care of these people especially when you start talking about the possible amnesty for daca and then the bipartisan uh amnesty bill that's being schemed up by chuck schumer led by tom tillis and Kristen cinema um you know up on capitol hill right now it's like i really hope that the republicans plan to meet in the middle isn't one that you know leads to millions of people having a pathway to citizenship because yeah we're, we're gonna meet in the middle starting now with everybody here no let's let's meet in the middle and solve the problem. I, I did re- read a pretty good article last night, though, which kind of gives me a little bit of hope, led by so glad he was urged to run for a third term by Donald Trump and won. Wisconsin Senator Rob Johnson is leading what 
some of the press have uh, labeled, they call it the Breakfast Club, and it's an actual Ron Johnson-led bipartisan group of senators who in the next year plan on working towards things that offer a real solution, not just ones that cater to the extremely slim Democrat margin in the Senate, Senate right now. We obviously talked about it on the show last week, how Kristen Cinema has now registered as an independent. Will that change anything? We have no idea. We know she's like kind of a corporate Democrat and not really one of those super progressive ones. But there's also more talk today. I was scrolling through social media this morning that now that it's an election year and he's kind of played both sides of the fence for so long and has come under fire for siding with some of the really bad Biden agendas, policies over the course of the last year, uh, Senator Manchin is now thinking about flipping parties again. Hmm. So we'll have to see what happens there. But staying with Senator Johnson, he was on uh, Fox News yesterday and was talking about exactly what Jake Sullivan didn't want to answer, the reality and some of the statistics regarding this. Let's hear him. Oh, they're delusional. They're in a state of denial. Uh, you know, Secretary Mayorkas refuses to acknowledge it's even a problem. He calls it a challenge. Ah. Uh, a number of months ago, just did a calculation. We don't get real good numbers out of DHS. At least 3 million uh, We don't people. have the data. This is months ago. 3 million have either come across, processed, and dispersed, or come across as a known or unknown gotaway. Uh, 17 states have populations less than 3 million people. It's been averaging yep. over 7,000 a day. They heard uh, Bill Malugin say it's uh, 8,000. Uh, we now have a whistleblower from HHS saying that... Uh, the government, these agencies know that they're basically turning these uh, migrants over to sex traffickers. Uh, we've called on our, our chairman of uh, Homeland Security to hold a hearing on this and also Secretary Becerra to uh, provide answers on, on what they know. So th this is a humanitarian crisis. It is a disaster. It's not good for anybody. Um, it's got to be fixed. I'm so glad we got Ron John in Senate still. Mm. Yeah. He's better than solid. You know, we're going to be able to piggyback off of his big uh, hearing next week or the hearing he had last week with the, the COVID panel, because Dr. Malone's going to be here on Tuesday. Uh, in addition, we're going to be really able to deep dive into some of these upcoming numbers with Title 42 setting to expire because former ICE director Tom Holman's going to be here on Tuesday as well. Oh, dang. Yeah, so we're kind of loading up heading into the uh, holiday season. I, I, I was looking over some of the weekend news, and you could never believe it what a lot of the ABC, CBS, MSNBC, CNN talk show talking points were about. Trump is finished again. Oh, perfect. Orange Mad Bad lives forever. Uh, <laughs> just not in the political realm. I did see today there was a USA Today poll that had Ron DeSantis in a head-to-head -head matchup up by almost 20 points. It's so silly. These are the same people that literally told us that Carrie Lake was up by a dozen points, uh, you know, the day before she lost her election. So the way that they're kind of trying to bend reality when there's nothing even going on right now is absolutely funny. I saw uh, this week in fake news on, on ABC, they were, they were talking about possible criminal referrals for Donald Trump following the disposition from the January 6th committee, which is set to come out this week. Uh, let's hear them lie about it a little bit. Pressure? Well, I think it does, but, but the uh, DOJ has not demonstrated that they're really listening. There's a ton of grassroots pressure out there, indict Trump, indict Trump, and they just methodically go through their work. Oh, now the and DOJ so is not a, doing a enough. referral, mm. yes, I think they'll be interested in the documents, interested in the interviews. You'll see a lot of kind of collaboration on the information, but a referral means nothing. It doesn't mandate anything. Uh, okay, well... 
It's an interesting way to look at it. They weren't getting what they wanted out of their panel, so I switched channels and saw on CBS's Deface the Nation, they had the number one expert for all things Russiagate and fake news Trump-related, Watermelon Head, (laughs) Adam Schiff, of course, carrying the Trump is finished narrative. Let's hear him. We will be releasing our report, I think, around the 21st. Mm -hmm. Uh, That will include whatever decision we've made on referrals. Um, What I can tell you about the process is we're looking at what is the quantum of evidence that we have against individuals? Uh, What is the impact of making a referral? Uh, Are we going to create some suggestion by referring some that uh, others uh, there wasn't sufficient evidence? When we don't know, for example, what evidence is in the possession of the Justice Department. So if we do make referrals, we want to be very careful about how we we do them. Um, But I I think we're all certainly in agreement that there is evidence of criminality uh, here. Uh, and we want to make sure that the Justice Department is aware of that. Oh, okay. So you you heard two different news shows, both on Sunday morning, playing off of a panel of experts. One included a sitting congressman, although you know he is one of the absolute shittiest ones and biggest liars of them all. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're hearing now the possibility from the January 6th committee's final report, in addition to the investigation that happened regarding the Mar-a-Lago raid, so we could see criminal referrals from both. But what you start to hear is if you read between the lines and really start to listen, a lot of people on the Democrat side saying like, oh, well, you know, criminal referrals really don't go anywhere. And, and maybe this Justice Department really isn't doing enough. So mm-hmm. does that mean that they're trying to get ahead of the narrative knowing that there's not going to be anything to indict Trump on? Or does it kind of set Merrick Garland up into the new years with some of the congressional investigation he's going to be going under to be a potential fall guy? For when, you know, the House of Representatives starts to investigate him, let's say they can get somewhere that leads to either him getting an ultimatum, step down or be impeached. They go through the articles of impeachment and then you have the Dems coming out and it's like, oh, well, you know, he just used to say a lot of mean things about Donald Trump, but he was never really going to prosecute him for anything. And that's the problem with the Justice Department. It kind of takes the whole weight of this two-tiered justice system and corrupt DOJ and FBI that the Republicans have been talking about for a number of years now, going all the way back through the Trump administration. Uh, off the table so just listening to those two brief clips i do kind of see the dems formulating their next plan you know their best game is always projection and uh we'll just have to keep an eye on that and see which way they're going to go with it um following the runoff election loss last week of herschel walker of course you know if you want to stick kind of in the same thread and play the blame game no one does it better than uh Utah Senator Mitt Romney. He's obviously not a Donald Trump enjoyer by any means. And uh, he was talking about um, moving away from President Trump, which is which is kind of this narrative. If you can't prosecute him, you got to move away from him. So let's hear him uh, talk about that. President Trump lost again. Uh, and I know a lot of people in our party uh, love the president, former president. But he's, uh, if you will, the kiss of death for somebody who wants to win a general election. And at some point, we've got to move on and, and look for new leaders that will uh, lead us to win and to be able to get an agenda that, frankly, President Trump would find an attractive agenda, have that agenda, be successful. You know, it's, it's just, to me, it's just funny how these guys want to, you know, they should just go out there. First of all, the reporter should have said, but do you love Trump? <laughs> get a receipt for that and, and basically follow up with the question like, okay, it says you want Donald Trump. You just don't want it to be him. Can, can you just confirm that as well? At which point it would kind of take a lot of the things away from their arguments into the complaints with Donald. Donald Trump is by no means the kiss of death. Listen, 
For anyone who's maybe a Ron DeSantis enjoyer or is looking to at least hope for a, a robust primary field in the presidential election cycle, so you know you could hear some other flavors, just go out and look career endorsement records. You may not have gotten all the candidates you wanted in the midterm election cycle this year, but when you look at that comparatively up against uh, the Bushes, the Obamas, and the Clintons, just go back to the last three presidents. I don't even think they they're nowhere even near fifty percent. No, by a lot. And mm-hmm. and Donald Trump's got like you know, if you're talking about managerial records here, he'd be a first ballot Hall of Famer in regards to endorsements. And that's not saying anything else about him. We're just talking about endorsements right now, and saying how he's the kiss of death. Everybody's a great candidate, then they lose. The opportunity to armchair quarterback is stuff that we get to do on this show. Apparently, a lot of people who are in politics that have to play underneath the same rules of running an election and winning a campaign, they shouldn't be doing that as much. But it seems like people like Mitt Romney will always go back to the same basic talking points. Someone who's living in a little bit more of reality uh, that I was actually surprised, Meet the Fake Press, had on Senator Tester, a Democrat from Montana who's also going to be up for re-election, probably going to lose in 2024, but he was talking about, you know, just the overall narrative of the midterms looking forward and things like that. And he's not really impressed with the Democrat message or, or how they did. And uh, I thought it was a kind of a good evening out for this whole narrative. Overall, um, I've had you on here to talk about yes. Democrats and rural voters. I got to show you this number. You know, when you were yep. last up for reelection, Democrats didn't get clobbered in rural America in 2018. They, they got 42% of the vote. Republicans got 56%. That is a competitive landscape. It's why you won re-election. In 2022, a year that Democrats are claiming was a pretty good year, the split in rural America, Senator, 63-34. Democrats got clobbered in rural America. Yep. They only lucked out that turnout in rural America wasn't that great. Um, what's got to change here? we got to focus our message more on the things we're doing for rural America. Um, I'll give you Not a much. prime example. I've got a couple bills that deal with big packers and meat consolidation and how the market, I believe, is totally manipulated. And and if we can get those bills through, it'll allow for folks that are cow-calf operators to be able to make a living. If we're able to do that this Congress, Democrats will have done that. And hopefully there will be Republicans, and I'm sure there will be, as a matter of fact, because we've got Chuck Grassley on board and others, mm-hmm. to get some of these bills across the line. And But we need to talk about it. And, and we don't talk about near enough. The infrastructure package is a prime example. Mm-hmm. It's going to help rural America big time when it comes to broadband and, and electrical distribution and, and roads and bridges. We didn't talk about it. We didn't talk about it from a rural perspective. It has to be a concentrated effort, and we are very bad uh, at message, and we need to work at that and get that message out to rural America so rural America knows who's fighting for them. And, and I think it's across the board. And, uh, uh, and if we're able to do that and do that effectively, Chuck, uh, you'll see those numbers change. Mm. I, I don't necessarily agree with him there. You know, you talk about just the infrastructure bill and the, uh, the Inflation Non-Reduction Act. Those, those, listen, a farmer who's going through this economy right now with the ridiculous fuel prices and how they're getting jobbed at the grocery store um, you know, in regards to gains, I don't want to hear about how there's going to be a bridge in five years, seven years. That's going to help me get my product there faster. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't want to hear 
how the broadband's going to give me like a little bit more bandwidth when I can't fill up my tractors because of the price of diesel, where they're not running out of it as we're heading into the winter months here. It looks like it's going to be a cold and nasty winter across the country. Yeah, it's going to be bad. And uh, there just seems to be no relief in sight. I mean, a lot, a lot of the complaints that, that you know, Senator Tester had right there had that Democrats don't want to talk about that stuff because it's dated or it's just not relevant to this cycle. You know, if you probably would have went out and talked about that in, in great context on the campaign trail across the country as Democrats, you probably would have had more of a rural turnout uh, for Republicans. And, and some of these races might not have been as close or, or they could have lost some of them as well. Um, I, I do think, uh, you know, in general election cycles, rurals obviously historically turn out a lot more and then vote straight down ticket per party. So we do have to stay on this messaging that the things that the Democrats offered, at least through the first two years of the Biden administration, just do not equate into uh, real results for the American people. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that Moving forward, we're going to have to keep hammering him on stuff like that. I do like that people like John Tester works with Ron Johnson, works with Chuck Grassley on stuff that helps out the agriculture sector of the United States and, and, and you know, America's farmers. But the fact of the matter, when you look in the big scheme of things, that's not a top five issue at the very least. Might not be a top ten issue right now. The only thing you can kind of parlay into that is the gas prices, the energy costs. Top five, top one? Top five, top ones. And, uh, you know, that's an excellent point you make because we're going to get with one of our top five top ones right now someone who just attended the new york young republican club mm. gala over the weekend so let's jump into it all right joining us next on the show today she's an independent investigative reporter one of our good friends it's been a little <laughs> bit of time since the last time she's been on but here she is today miss heather mullins thanks for joining us on steak for breakfast well thank you guys so much for having me oh it's our pleasure how's everything been going with you what's news i mean we're going to get into some of the topics but what's news on your end it's funny you should say that because for the first time in my um, social media career, I got uh, banned on Twitter the other day. I saw that. Twice. Yeah. Twice in like 24 hours. Congratulations. Wait, banned, unbanned, and then banned again? Yeah, literally. Like I got a 12-hour ban where like I couldn't use my account for 12 hours. I got back on, posted about the ban, and caught another 12-hour ban. <laughs> <laughs> So things are changing, but things still remain. Well, the same. I mean, there's there's still some there's there's probably a couple of basement doors they haven't kicked open at Twitter, and there's somebody down there. I'm ban you. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's one way to look at it. But it's funny because the common denominator for both the tweets that got flagged was talking about 2,000 mules in the 2020 election. Yeah, I guess that's still a no-no. But I, I, I guess so. Dinesh D'Souza's account's still active, and I'm sure he talks about it quite often. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Pretty interesting how that works. Mm. Well, we're talking mm -hmm. about Twitter, so let's jump right into it. The Twitter files, we've had five releases, the troves of information that have come out. A lot of the information, I mean, for people in our community are nothing burgers in regards to the dynamic, but when it talks about the players involved, definitely confirmed a lot of receipts that we had suspected uh, over the course of the years. As someone who, who looks at this on a regular basis, what did you think about all the stuff that's come out so far? I mean, I guess like... Like, better late than never is, like, the phrase that comes to mind. I know there's a lot of conservatives like myself. Like, I was posting about – I saw Facebook posts I made talking about the Hunter Biden laptop story in October of 2020, a month before the election happened. And I remember specifically, like, talking about it with even members of my own family that were convinced it was, like, Russian disinformation and sort of, like, we're in this – um 
it's crazy. Like, like even when presented with photographs that, that came from that laptop, it was almost like being in denial, certain family members of mine, right? Like people, like they almost don't want to believe it because it, like the, they don't want to believe that the corruption within our own country and within our own government systems could be that bad to like censor something like that. Um, but that's what these Twitter revelations really prove is that it is that bad. It's exactly that bad. And we need to start looking at it head on and not pretend like, okay, it's not there because it helps us sleep better at night because it's things are going to get a lot worse if we don't address this head on. And so hats off to Elon Musk, because at the end of the day, he didn't have to put this information out there, but he did for whatever his reasons. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be pretty interesting to see how deep and down that rabbit hole. I mean, that's the way he's kind of teased it. Is he willing to go with all this? We saw his tweet over the weekend that said his pronouns are investigate Fauci, which is <laughs> sticking kind of in the same thread. I can only imagine the the level of cover-up that happened at social media companies, places like Twitter, uh, throughout the course of the pandemic. What are you expecting to see once they, they kind of release that information? You know, like I already know what I'm going to see when they release that information. The question is, is whether or not it's going to get prosecuted, right? Because like we're in a position now where you have two things that happened, right? You have like the the collaboration inclusion between the CDC, NIH, big pharma, big tech, but then you also have the elections, right? And when, when your elections are undermined and the people that are in positions of authority to investigate and prosecute these very things are there by illegitimate means, um, how do you move forward? Because that's going to be the big question is, do we have enough checks and balances within our justice system and in our country and in our laws and the three branches to fix the cesspool of corruption that undoubtedly exists, right? Like, is there a way out? Is there a path, a legal path forward to help prosecute and, and hold accountable these people that, that broke the law and colluded? I mean, this is, this is what I've I've referred to what Fauci and the CDC, like the censorship of the vaccine adverse reactions and the um, early COVID treatments. I, I consider it censorship induced genocide is what it is because tens of thousands, if not millions throughout the entire globe of pe people that died that didn't have to uh, were it not for their censorship. Yeah, it's it's really been crazy to see how that has all unfolded. I mean, when you talk about like the initial stuff that's come out, the shadow banning and the banning accounts and, and you know, de-amplification of people's voices, that's one thing. But when you get into the whole COVID narrative and, and that social media companies were complicit in doing the same things to like, let's just say influencer accounts as they were to mm -hmm. actual doctors who were trying to get ahead of the pandemic when it started, then you get into the whole you know, narrative of public safety. And like you said, thousands, if not millions of lives could have been affected by that. If, if it not for people who, who died because of not being able to receive early treatment or for other narratives that were crushed throughout the course of the pandemic, it's the people suffering sudden death syndrome right now, or having big mm -hmm. vaccine complications moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And like, let's look at like why this happened in the first place and how it happened. Right. Like we know that under the Obama administration, they were really pulling back against doing gain-of-function research here in America. And here's something a lot of people don't talk about, right? When we outlawed gain-of-function research in America and, and it basically got moved offshore to Wuhan, 
one thing that this actually did, it puts it put us as a country at a disadvantage militarily in yeah. order to combat against the very weaponized viruses that they're creating in that lab, right? Like you put a limitation on research that could be potentially weaponized, right? It's no different than let's say saying, well, we're going to ban all you know, um, nuclear weapons in America because they're unethical and can kill people, right? Mm. But like, if other countries are still developing those weapons, then we as a nation want to be able to be on the same level playing field. So in a sense, gain of function research is like, as long as you're doing it with the sense that if China's doing this research, America should be allowed to do this research for the sole purpose of the fact that that's how we create the antidotes, right? Like we have to know what comes of this gain of function research because other countries are doing it. And if they're doing it and we're not, they're going to have a weapon and we're not going to have that research. Yeah. And we're Does that make sense? Like I'm trying to say it from like a, like we kind of have to do that research in order to stay on a level playing field with these other countries that are doing it. Yeah, no, from a strategic standpoint, it makes a lot of sense because not only will we not have the weapon, but if we're not doing it at all here in the United States, we're not going to have the answers to... We're going to be 10 steps behind China is what's going to end up happening. And the CCP continues to be involved uh, in meddling in U.S. affairs. What are some of the things that you've been seeing lately? We obviously did a portion of our cold open today uh, on on the continuing threat of things like TikTok uh, when you talk about in the in the tech sector. Mm-hmm. But what are some of the things that you're looking at that the CCP has really had their hands in lately that's causing some issues for the United States? Yeah. So, I mean, while we're on this topic of COVID and weaponizing, you know, um, viruses and stuff like that, back under the Trump administration, the DOJ actually arrested um, doctors that were leaving the country with bioweapons that they took from Harvard University, right? Like Harvard University going back like 10 years has been getting funding from the like the second largest real estate company in China. It's like Evergrande Group. And they've actually been funding research at Boston University, Brigham and Women's and Harvard. And what they've been doing, the CCP, not just with within like the the biology and, and science fields, but within any fields you can possibly imagine that they have a vested interest, they have what's called the thousand talents plan. And this is where they solicit people in other countries to steal proprietary information and they will pay them. So that's what happened with these doctors, right? That they were basically being paid by the CCP to go to China and create replicas of the labs that we had here in the United States. So taxpayer funded research right, was being done here on American soil. And then that research was taken and brought back to China where they pay these people to steal it. And so this is not just like happening within that industry, also with the elections. One of the big stories with the elections that's still ongoing is the Connex situation where you had an election software company CEO that was storing information on a Chinese server. Right. Like this could all be connected. So this thousand talents plan is not only not exclusive to one industry, it's not exclusive to one country. We've seen it um, come about in Australia and Canada as well. The CCP is actively paying people to steal proprietary information from several different countries. Yeah, the data harvesting that comes from the CCP is something that. I mean, is pretty much unrivaled throughout the world. And, 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 you know, everything from our finances to, like I said, we talked about social media today and then election integrity, which I want to kind of stay in the same thread. 
Now, Heather, mm-hmm. election integrity is something that we're definitely going to have to continue to work on moving ahead to 2024. Obviously, we saw a lot of the same problems, if not exactly the same problems, uh, <laughs> in, in this midterm election cycle. Obviously, Maricopa, Arizona remains at the ground zero level for all things integrity related when it comes to elections. What are some of the things that what are some of the hard discussions that we're just not having right now? I mean, it, it's so hard with state house and senates, and then you have whether or not you have a governor who's open open to it. And then at the federal level, it's like they don't want to federally regulate elections. But the fact of the matter, every state is so much different. We may never get on the same page anywhere. What are you seeing? You know, like there's definitely been a lot of progress, right? Like mm-hmm. I want to start off on a positive note. And that's that the Republicans took back control of the House, which means that a lot of these investigations are going to be moving forward. And there's going to be a lot more information that comes out that becomes a matter of the congressional record, right? Yeah. Like this is a huge win that the mainstream media is trying to overshadow by saying like, oh, the Republicans didn't do as well as they thought. Like that's all like uh, near here or there. You know what I mean? Like we're actually going to be able to have these investigations. And I do think that there are a lot of Republicans and even Democrats that are going to start coming forward now that they are actually able to see that, look, they were misled. They were um, not told the full picture, I think a lot of this information is going to start recruiting more people because this isn't just an election where like, yes, we go in and vote and we know what happened in Maricopa County, right? But at the end of the day, we're winning the war in the sense that we're winning the hearts and the minds of the American people because that's why they have to cheat. That's why they had to have the machines go down because in essence, they're losing the control on the narrative. And so we've actually picked up a lot of ground. And I think that we're moving in the right direction as a country. And I think Elon Musk dropping all this information is further helping that cause and helping the truth get out. So I would say like, we're doing good. We still have a lot of battles that we need to win, but this is a war, right? Like we're going to pick and choose our battles and we're going to win the ones that are important. No, you make a lot of sense there. And I think the the biggest parts about it is we're not going to be able to have the narrative that these are baseless conspiracy theories now when we head into other elections on things that the Democrats are doing. We know the same things that happened at Twitter are happening currently at Google, are currently happening at Meta, and we have to take in uh, consideration the success rate we had across the cross-tabulations of demographics in the 2022 midterm elections, I think. All, all of the places where we made gains were, were kind of negated a little bit by, by single women and lack of turnout from the rurals. But as we head into the general election cycle, as we see voter rolls continue to get clean and, and other matters like taking care of that we need to work on, maybe the way we vote changes a little bit. But the fact of the matter is, it, like you said, we are making gains. Also keeping in mind on the first point you made, this is only going to be the fourth time and I think almost 70 years that Republicans have had control of the House. It's not as easy of a task as, as a lot of people think. And and for ones that have only gotten in, into politics since Donald Trump came down the escalator in 2015, yes, we've had it twice, but that's also twice in the last 60, 70 years. So it's one of those things that we've made some some big gains and, and looking forward, we'll, we'll continue to uh, track and report on. Heather, this has been awesome sitting down with you today. We're going we're gonna to live link your social medias in the show description today. And uh, where can our listenership find you? Yeah, so you can find me uh, in about 10 hours back on Twitter, but I'm also <laughs> on Getter and Truth Social. I'm on Instagram and Facebook, but I think Getter and Truth Social are really where you should 
you should go find me. And going into 2023, I'm really hoping to do a lot more on Rumble as well. Good. And we'll be uh, tracking that. And of course, after the (laughs) new year, having you back on the show as well. Uh, Investigative journalist, one of our great friends, Heather Mullen, thanks for joining us back on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you guys so much. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Do you hate America? No. You know, in fact, I'm knowing many inmates. I figure out we're sharing way more common. Maybe America is very much similar. Look, it's the same size. They have a, it's the same kind of this. And when you talk to them, there is nothing there even to beef about. We are naturally, you know, born not to be enemies. And whenever there's conflict, it's elites. You know, every, you know, American I met in a prison who is from rural area was very easy to deal with. He has no problem with Russia, and he was curious about Russia, despite all propaganda. They're losing their Christian values. They're losing their families. They're losing literally their countries. It's not anymore the same country. We knew America, who used to be a model for entire world and lead and be an example, you know, like they say, a shiny town on the, you know, sparkling town on a hill. And this is, of course, pity. It was a strong country who was really a, you know, industrial might, you know, this one. And look, for 30, 40 years, deindustrialization, drug problem, crime waves. You can understand, and I feel more empathy to American after this experience than I would feel any hate. What would you consider as the most important event of the years that you have spent in prison? Uh, which events? Uh, international? Well, it doesn't matter. Maybe international. 2014. Oh, okay. Why? Well, it's, I guess, uh, would be in a history as a turning point. It's a turning point of Russia. Finally, stand up on its knees. Proud, strong. 14 years ago, when you were, if you would have known that it's going to happen with you, I mean, you're going to spend 14 years away from your family, from your motherland, would you have, uh, would you do something differently in your life? It's difficult to live on the callings of your heart. But if you listen in your heart, no, you know, yes, you're gonna, sometimes you get into trouble, but you never betrayed yourself. You know, and this inner peace give you enough strength to go through everything. Why? Because you don't have a conflict inside of you. Doesn't matter what. You have peace and tranquility because you trust in your heart. You trust in callings of your blood. You trust in, and you're never fighting who you are. Well, that was the uh, Merchant of Death, Victor Bout, uh, in an exclusive interview with Russian state TV over the weekend, talking about his exchange for pothead a dude american national anthem unenjoyer <laughs> wnba phenom Brittany griner it's just weird to put wnba and phenom in the same sentence oh yes hot ticket item um there was a lot in there to deconstruct he did mention uh well he called it a town but the the shining city on top of the hill as, mm-hmm. as america was used to be referred to Throughout the world, it's up for debate on whether or not that's still the case. But I uh, talked about a lot of the cultural issues that we're facing here. He mentioned drugs and crime. 
and, and how it's plaguing, especially our uh, most historically important inner cities right now. The separation from traditional Christian values, which is one of the things that this country was founded on. It's also one of the fastest things demonized by the radical progressive left these days. Um, the normalcy or lack thereof in the United States now of the nuclear family. Definitely couldn't advertise it the same way you did, let's just say, in the 50s and 60s. Nope. And uh, military might throughout the world and how we're looked on. Oh, we're going to have to up the uh, – we're at 33 and a half U.S. border walls now. Perfect. Yeah, we, we just uh, appropriated another $300-plus million uh, for – military defense to Ukraine over the weekend. In addition to that, we're going to be sending them a uh, Patriot missile systems. <laughs> what? Which is very uh, hypocritical. <laughs> that sounds like a terrible idea. Hypocritical slash ironic when you talk about this. Um, yeah, the normalcy of, of the, you know, the, the prisoner exchange, um, and, and then when you want to talk about it in regards to the U.S. Marine who was left uh, in Russia, and, and, you know, how he wasn't included in the deal, especially after it came out, President Trump truthed about it over the weekend, um, that, that he was offered the same deal for uh, Victor Bout and uh, former Marine U.S. Paul Whelan, um, and he turned it down because of the the optics, the significance of having a Russian arms dealer, one who was suspected and then probably, you know, convicted of, Giving military equipment to, you know, the Northern Alliance, which would in parts become um, ISIS, the Taliban, which would branch off into Al-Qaeda. Well, I mean, if you're an arms dealer, you're selling to whoever's buying. It doesn't matter. Yep. Funding the war uh, weapons-wise in North Africa and the radical Islamic terrorists that operate there. And, uh, you know, has, has produced... Deals which have led to terrorists getting weapons that have led directly to Americans' deaths over the years. So there was a, there was a lot of reasons why Donald Trump didn't pull the trigger on that prisoner exchange. But it's also been completely normalized by some of our uh, congressional counterparts. I know one of Antoinette's favorite, Democrat Representative Sheila Jackson Lee, uh, weighed in on, you know, the Victor Bout exchange. And uh, she didn't really think it was a big deal. Let's hear. It's the facts would tell them. He was sentenced to 25 years. He saved, served 11 to 16 years. I don't know. The, I can't remember the exact number. 11. But in actuality, um, his weapons might have been used to kill Americans. He has not killed Americans. Uh, I'm not saying he's not a nasty, bad guy. But I will tell you that I believe that Americans should know that the sovereignty of their nation will always be behind them and they'll never be forgotten. Well, so she just let all the gun manufacturers off the hook. Yeah, and she, does it mean Putin or Putin is not a, as bad of a guy as we all say he is just because he hasn't literally killed Americans with his own bare hands? Oh, it's so silly. And, uh, you know, the, the, the stuff that they always do. Uh, Jake Sullivan was at the White House press pool yesterday and was definitely going to be asked about this. Uh, he kind of also, you know... When, when you're talking about is would you consider this guy a terrorist for the profession that he was in under international standards? Doesn't he fall under the, the demographic of, of confirmed terrorist? He's an international yeah. arms dealer. Well, let's just watch the secretary of the DNI go ahead and uh, blow off the reporter like, you know, only people that work in the Biden administration can do. 
Does the administration consider Victor Boot to be a terrorist? Well, he's not uh, listed as a specially designated national. What we consider him to have been was a convicted criminal, convicted of arms trafficking and other crimes, um, to serve a sentence. Uh, he served 12 years in detention. He was set to be released uh, in 2029. And of course, before we make any determination about whether to send somebody back as part of a deal to get an American home, we make a determination about the national security implications of that. We did that assessment in this case. We believe we can manage those challenges, but we will remain constantly vigilant against any threat that Victor Boot may pose to Americans, to the United States going forward. We also would just point out uh, that there is no shortage of arms traffickers and mercenaries in Russia who pose challenges and threats to the international order, to the United States and otherwise, and we are vigilant about that as well, which is why we have built, alongside our allies and partners, such a robust policy in dealing with the threats posed by Russia. Mm. Hmm. I was going to say, you've been a little light with the garrison button today, but that was it's, it's interesting that they're using the word, we'll deal with those challenges, you know, when they arise. When we cross that bridge. So, in it... <laughs> I mean, so the stuff going on at the southern border, they're calling that a challenge, too, and that's a pretty epic, huge, giant thing that's going on. Yeah. So it's just, it's just uh, equating different things to words that don't seem as bad. I like it. And, uh, yes, it seems to be quite the narrative when when we're uh, dealing with a you know, word salad that usually comes out of the Biden administration. I couldn't speculate enough how probably relieved KJP was that she didn't have to feel those questions. <laughs> I mean, they got to give her an off day every once in a while. She's just going to blow her brains out. When when Jake Sullivan and, uh, you know, uh, John Kirby roll in with her, she knows it's going to be, a, at the very least, a, a mild day. Um, and, yeah, so that's kind of where we're at there. We definitely wanted to touch on it because we thought it was important. You know, when, when you talk about Paul Whelan and being – left in Russia again. It's still yet to be determined. Well, he's not even the only one. There's another teacher, right? The, two, the what is it? Oh, shit, what was his name? Mark Mark Fogel? And uh, we did hear that Vladimir Putin is open to more prisoner exchanges, but when you look at the, I mean, every human life is valuable, what we're exchanging and why, just optically it looks bad. If you think that Victor Boot isn't going to get back and get his feet wet, he's already been... You know, in that interview we played, he was listed as an international businessman. So it looks like he's already back in the game. And uh, we'll see. It. It's yet to be told on whether or not he will uh, be back in the business. But uh, it's like you never stop serving when you work in countries like that. I did see also over the weekend, I think it was something pretty interesting to touch on. Um, we did have, I believe, Friday through Sunday, we had Twitter files, disclosures, three, four, and five. And those were the plot to ban President Trump mm. and just how they did it. Uh, we do want to point out before we even start talking about this narrative, the internal communications between Twitter execs. That's, you know, uh, JJ God and uh, Yoel Roth and some of the other ones who were up on the, the tops there, even though they were getting some pushback from people and did admit that the final tweets that Donald Trump put out on his Twitter account in, uh, you know, uh, 2021 did not violate Twitter standards. They were still going to, for the sake of saving democracy, ban him across the platform. So I saw Clay Travis jumped on with uh, Boomer Sweats last night to kind of talk about some of the stuff that's come out since we've seen drops three, four, and five. 
Uh, let's hear him kind of talk about this and uh, break it down a little bit more for our listenership. Remember, so far we haven't gotten anything from the Biden administration. We've had the Biden campaign. We've had all of the clear bias that existed inside of Twitter. And I think it's important to note out uh, this, Sean, when you read the most recent Twitter file, what's intriguing is that with Democrats, and you know this very well, and certainly left-wingers in general, they're very obsessed with the idea of diversity But they don't ever want diversity of thought. And I believe it was in prong seven of today's revelation. One of the individuals at Twitter said that she, I believe, was Chinese and she was troubled by the idea of censoring leaders. And if you look and read all of the revelations today, Mm. to their credit, Macron in France, uh, Angela Merkel uh, inside of Germany, many other leaders said when Trump was banned by Twitter, this is wrong and it doesn't make sense. And what's going on here is... Our government colluded with big tech and big media. Sean, is it a coincidence, you think? We're talking about this right now. You know who isn't? ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, CNN, The Washington Post, The New York Times. All of those companies are conspiring not to cover this because everything inside of Twitter was, in addition to big tech, we had a triumvirate of collusion. Big tech, big media and the Biden administration, the Biden campaign, and they were all in a rig effect designed to ensure that Donald Trump was not elected 2020 president. And so this is not a surprise at all. The FBI was in on the game. As you mentioned, they had had this laptop for 11 months. Those 51 different security officials who all allowed their names to be used on a lie, this was all part and parcel of a calamitous campaign here. The biggest issue, this makes Watergate seem like jaywalking, Sean, to ensure that there was no election of Donald Trump in 2020. And God bless Elon Musk for spending $44 billion, because Ari's right about this, Sean. If it weren't for that $44 billion, we know this is going on at Facebook. We know what's going on at Instagram. We know what's going on at YouTube and Google, and I'm certain TikTok as well. If Elon Musk hadn't spent that $44 billion, none of these documents, none of these emails proving the collusion, proving the unconstitutional behavior would have ever come out. That's what he really spent this money for, mm-hmm. to allow us to know what was really going on at, behind at the scenes our- at Twitter. So what do you guys think? You know, I put out a poll yesterday, and uh, I just want to know what we thought here on the show. Is the now, the things that we're learning from the the Twitter revelations, the disclosure that's coming out from, you know, the way things were done internally at the company, I mean, obviously that guy, Yoel Roth, is a complete creeper. Oh, he's an absolute creeper. Like, he he did an entire thesis on, like, what, like, Putting, giving children their own basic version of grinder, basic or yeah, <laughs> it's like what? So what? What do you guys think when we look at this Twitter disclosure? Are we seeing? Um, I, I gave three options in the poll. Currently, this one's standing at fifty-four percent. Do you think we're starting to learn the truth now because of preservation of records, the fact that they never thought they were going to get caught, or someone? or some people within the Twitter organization didn't all the way hate America yet and was like, you want to know what? This is kind of really bad. Who knows? Maybe somewhere down the road a couple select screen captures can save me from federal prosecution. Oh, are you saying, like, why hasn't this stuff just – why did it get archived? 
Yeah. How, I mean, how, is this just we, like a, how, G, a Gmail inbox, basically, where you can just search like the past 15 years of your, your emails? Or, or It looks like the, the screenshots that are coming out look like they're part of like administrative tools for Twitter executives or people that ran like the the control centers. Yeah. So the literal oh. screenshots then. Yeah. So are, are we seeing it because of uh, the, you know, the record preservation? Oh, insurance policy, probably for yeah. the people that are involved. Just like, I need this ace in the hole. I think it's definitely a combination of all of them, you know, um, but mostly for me, I think that they didn't think they would get caught. Yeah. Yeah. Surprisingly, that's the second one. I, I feel that the way that these people were acting and, 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 you know, the way that they were communicating, we talked about it, you know, last week on the show, the guys like DMing people, definitely not meeting with Homeland Security, definitely not meeting with the FBI today. We're going to have to come up with new names for this because we shouldn't just be putting DHS in the, uh, on, on the public Twitter calendar on who I'm meeting with today. Um, yeah, I mean, but they're not wrong. I mean, had this entire upheaval not happened, they would have never gotten caught. Yeah. I mean, how how long would that data have been archived and saved, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, uh, they're definitely running scared now, but it's def- even more so interesting how you know, that, that just that whole place operated. It, it seemed like, and we really need to understand that, you know, this stuff is going on at all of the other big tech companies. And you're mm-hmm. not always going to have someone like Elon Musk who could just throw almost $50 million into a project and says, you know what, I'll buy it and play with it. Right. Um, I did see KJP say that uh, in some questions she fielded yesterday, that she was very concerned about Elon Musk tweeting. Wait, she fielded questions? couple of them, but she was asked about how the Biden administration was looking at Elon Musk tweeting this weekend that his pronouns were prosecute Fauci and that she, she felt like it uh, contributed towards a lack of, of personal safety for the doctor. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then when someone tried to hammer him on, you know, the whole pronouns thing, he's like, you know what, that stuff should never be shoved down people's throat. Like those things are a preference and uh, there's not really any place for them. He's actually been a little kind of kind of base lately. I did see he he also attended a Dave Chappelle stand up. <laughs> so he, he also claimed it was a first first time he was ever booed in public. But there was a huge <laughs> fight breaking out in the front rows of that uh, show right when he took the stage. So you can't really tell if that was all directed at him or. Why was there a fight breaking out? Oh, world star. Daughter <laughs> just identified as being trans. Was didn't she recently? And she like disowned him as well. His daughter, Elon's daughter. So who knows? He's he's got like twelve kids. Yeah. So I think his it's his daughter or one of them. Not sure how many he has, but uh, yeah, she publicly disowned him, and uh, she. They're all named like barcodes and stuff. (laughs) Sound effects. Uh, Do do you think she disowned her allowance? Mm. He does live very frugally. Um, I did see. You know, sticking with this narrative on, on the the plot that's been uncovered to stop Donald Trump's 2020 presidential bid moving forward to 2024, uh, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem jumped on with David Brody yesterday on the water cooler and was talking about Donald Trump's campaign. Let's hear her. I wondered if you're supportive of his run for the presidency. There are some Republicans uh, that want to move on from him. I'm curious to get where you're at with him on this. Listen, President Trump's policies were fantastic for my state. Uh, They were great for this country. I worked with him quite a bit. I was in Congress when we did tax reform, and I was one of the members of that committee and conference committee that 
worked two years on that bill, and uh, we're very thankful to see it signed into law and bring some relief to the American people. Uh, so President Trump has always been a friend of mine, and a, I've supported him and will continue to do so. I think what, what happened so much in this last election cycle that has people discouraged is that so many Republicans only talked about how bad Joe Biden was. And listen, he is a disaster. Um, he is a, a disaster for this country. Uh, but I talked a lot in my election about um, hope and about a vision for this country and, and the good things that were happening here, too. And I think people need to understand that there is something positive in our future and that what we believe actually works if you put it in place. That's what happened in South Dakota is we just did what conservatives have always said they believed. We did it here and it worked. We have the strongest economy in the country. Incomes mm -hmm. are going up faster than anywhere else. Um, you know, you can't just talk about how bad Joe Biden is. We also have to talk about, you know, what the American dream is and how much it And offering comprehensive solutions. Programming note, um, David Brody probably operates on Real America's Voice because much to Noah's dismay, you can't be typing away on the computer when you have. I know. I was looking over at you. I was like, what are you doing over there? I know it wasn't you. I don't have a computer keyboard, but it's almost as bad as, you know, when... Uh, the guy on, on I, Newsmax I at least writes with the quietly. Sharpie. Yeah, writes with the Sharpie when he's, uh, and you do type quietly when we're in the show because when you type normally, it's usually, you slam those keys. Mm -hmm. um, but for, for those who don't think that Christy Noem right now, where we stand today, probably isn't a top three VP consideration for Donald Trump. Number one, first off, he has a type. Mm -hmm. We all seen Melania Trump. Mm -hmm. Alina Habe is a regular guest on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christy Nome probably could, if you said that that was Melania's sister, I'd believe it. They, no. Yes. I don't. Yes. Uh, he, no. he has a type. He has a type and they, they all kind of lookish the same. They have some of the same characteristics, let's just say. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not calling her an international supermodel, but I'm saying that he, there's a type. And, uh, mm -hmm. she came off there as kind of talking not as much about Donald Trump's 2024 bid as she does about you know, offering plausible solutions for the country and uh, talking about getting away from some of the things that were complaints in the midterm election cycle that we need to focus on uh, moving forward in the general. So I, I did think that was, uh, you know, a decent piece there. I also saw over the weekend, now we all know um, Admiral Apparatus always likes to make headlines. And we did have the New York Young Republican Club Gala this weekend, which was a star-studded event for a lot of our friends were there. Um, but uh, I did see when he was on War Room on Saturday, he was kind of uh, heading into commercial and uh, took, mm, I don't know, you, get, you guys will have to determine on whether or not it's a pot shot. At Donald Trump uh, in regards to what he's doing right now. Let's hear him not cut himself off, but lead right into one of those signature breaks. The president in Mar-a-Lago, you got to get the game up, got to get better. It's just not good enough right now. I hate to be so brutally frank, but we're fighting for the country. Got to get off the truth. You got to get engaged in these battles up here right now, because that sets the stage for your second term, the return. And now we have to do it. We have to do it. You cannot allow this apparatus to remove a sitting president. If it is, we're a banana republic. You know he's going to drop at least one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the fact of the matter was, listen, Donald Trump right now is private citizen, although he's already announced his candidacy to run in 2024. No one else has really announced their candidacy to run in the same election cycle yet. 
we are in the throngs of the holiday season in between Thanksgiving and the new year. Christmas is quickly approaching as we're less than two weeks away now. And he lives at Mar-a-Lago, which is a huge golf resort. Now, for anybody that knows anything, there are a lot of Christmas parties and galas that usually happen at places like Mar-a-Lago. And I have seen on social media... We got invited? You didn't get invited to anything this uh-huh. year. What the hell? Yeah. Well, I mean, to... I probably can't go, but it just, you know, it's nice to be that, wanted. That's true. Um, <laughs> next year. We'll see. Um, but, but the fact of the matter is, when, when you live at these places and all of these events are happening... Um, at your business, I, I have seen on social media throughout the course of, you know, the last couple of weeks, Donald Trump making appearances at weddings, at winter parties, um, galas and stuff like that that are happening at Mar-a-Lago. Well, if you're on your way to the golf course, you're going to walk through a wedding or two. Exactly. Fact of the matter is, is like you can find very few people in a non-election year. I mean, next year is the year to be doing it, but a non-election year who are out stumping on the campaign trail. Mm-hmm. We just had everybody and their mother tell Donald Trump that he was out there too much over the course of the midterm election cycle when they were trying to blame him for everything. And, and now we're hearing from from some of the other pundits that it's not enough. Um, I think we all just need to get into the Christmas spirit a little bit mm-hmm. and get through. I mean, nothing's happening up on Capitol Hill. They're going to try and slide in a couple bills that hopefully don't make it through. Uh, but the new Congress isn't sworn in till, till January 3rd. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what battles he's talking about. Um, you know, in regards to him possibly being recommended for federal prosecution in regards to January 6th or the Mar-a-Lago raid, we're not going to hear anything about that until, well, you know, there's such grinches up there in the in the Biden administration. We, we probably will hear uh, about well, it. They'll talk Christmas. about it. They're not going to drop it until it's closer to killing time. Yeah, I certainly hope not. But the, but the fact of the matter is, is uh, you know, we just got to keep rolling along here. We are seeing the way the demographics and kind of the play by the Biden administration heading into the new year. We're getting like a preview of it. They're trying to get ahead of some narratives. They're trying to spin, discredit or hype up others. And uh, believe me, if you don't think someone like Joe Biden's going to put a lid on it and shut it down early in the Christmas season, uh, for anyone that knows DC politics and how things work in the beltway. Once you get to like December 15th, it's, it's pretty much, you're not talking to anybody or getting anything done until after the first of the year. Nope. That's just the way it is. And, uh, everybody sets up their vacations and, and who's ever not on vacation is just, you know, jumping on talk shows to talk about, uh, how the next year looks. So although we do appreciate Steve's enthusiasm, I think he's just a little bit more off the mark here than usual. I think president Trump's in a good spot right now. I think, Less is more at this point while we kind of let everything from the midterms simmer down. And uh, I think moving forward, we're going to show that he's more than capable and even more ready to hit the campaign trail just as hard as he did uh, the last two times he ran for president in 2024. All right. Joining us next on the show today, she's a culture and analysis reporter for The Daily Caller. We've become pretty great friends with her. We're excited to have her back. Miss Sarah Weaver, thanks for jumping back on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. How's everything going on your end? Been pretty busy news cycle lately. You've got a couple things we've got. Uh, we're going to discuss today with you. But uh, what's the current state over there in DC? How's everything at the Daily Caller? Everything at the Daily Caller is fantastic. Uh, lots of cool reporting opportunities. Um, 
going to be really interesting seeing what this next Congress is going to do. Like, hot topics. So, excited to keep reporting on that. Yeah, there, there's a large slate of uh, information and agenda items that we're looking to see that they're going to get into. It seems like they keep adding on to it more every day. If it's not things like down on the southern border, it's, you know, prisoner transfer that we had last week and the legality of that and how bad that looked optically for the United States. There's the rising threat of TikTok, which it seems like more at least can, Republican governors are jumping on with in regards to banning. And then all the, the cultural issues and stuff like that that you, um, you know, kind of, shed a little bit of light on one of the ones that we've talked about for a couple of weeks now in our chat uh, was coming out of the midterm elections. You were able to identify one pretty big mistake that seemed on paper to be avoidable, but Republicans as usual ran right through it with their heads down. You want to let our listenership hear a little bit about that? Um, yeah. So the conventional wisdom after the midterms is basically that Republicans didn't do as well as they should have given the unpopularity of Joe Biden and the state of the economy and the border and those kind of things, because they leaned into the culture war too much and sort of the, you know, beltway wisdom is that the culture war doesn't sell, the culture war doesn't win elections. Um, whereas Democrats did what they always do, which is they really, really leaned into the culture war and they painted um, Republicans as extreme. That was their bid to the American public. It's like, look, maybe you can't afford groceries, but these people are going to storm the Capitol. They're going to, you know, force your 12 year old daughter to carry her rapist baby. And this is why you should vote for us. Surprisingly enough, that message seemed to have done fairly well. Um, and a lot of people just sort of assumed that was because uh, the culture war is sort of like the Democrats' debate to own. I don't think that's really the case. I think, you know, she was not going to go away despite what some in the Republican Party might want. They might want to kind of run away from the issue. They might want to say that, um, you know, uh, Rose been overturned, so it's returned to the states. So we're just going to not talk about the issue. But the thing with Dobbs is that it actually made it more of a local issue. It made it so that local politicians, politicians um, running for all levels of government have to have a stance on the issue because the voter is going to want to know and the media is going to want to know. So rather than, you know, um, avoid the issue and let Democrats frame it as this, it's, you know, extremist Republicans versus, you know, pro-liberty Democrats who love women. I think they should own the debate and I think they should prove how radical Democrats are on the issue, how we went from safe, legal and rare to, you know, shout your abortion and um, sort of play them at their own game. Say, no, you're no, you're the extremists. Um, You know, you're the ones that are out of touch with the American people. And I think I think that message would, you know, do fairly well, at the very least, a lot better than, you know, the tactic that Republicans did try in the midterms on abortion, which obviously didn't do didn't do very well. No, it didn't. And, you know, you had people not helping out like Lindsey Graham, which led for when you actually had a debate in some of these midterm races, a pretty strong receipt to make people try and defend, um, you know, on on the debate stage. And it led for some really bad sound bites that were then, you know, parlayed into uh, midterm election campaign commercials. So the messaging was bad. The stance was bad. And it seemed like when people actually tried to call on him, the Republicans on it and, and what to do and where to go with this narrative. They, they just kind of looked for the easy way out. And for all the cross tabulation gains that we made and the overall vote margin in the midterm elections, there were just some demographics that young people and, and single women that we weren't just ever going to able to be able to wrangle back just because of this issue. And uh, mm-hmm. it's one of the ones that really wound up stucking and it probably cost us some big races in the long term. 
talking about how the Democrats kind of bend reality to make everybody think that things like that, you know, shouting your abortions from the rooftop is normal. I saw a piece that you wrote recently. Uh, it's headlined, Biden invites non-binary drag artists to the White House for bill signing. And, and that's in regards to the Respect for Marriage Act bill, um, mm-hmm. which is going to protect same-sex marriages and things of that nature. How did we get here? I mean, you got the guy that's uh, walking around right now. Well, he, he's been threatening Tim Pool for the last couple of weeks, but giving tampons out to girls. And then you have this, another, uh, you know, I guess you can call it nine binary performer showing up at the White House for a big bill signing. Like, just outside looking in and, and how this is portrayed on a national stage, an international stage to a lot of our geopolitical rivals. This just looks, there's nothing good that looks good about this. It just looks bad from top to bottom. Everything from the the narrative of the bill all the way down to the optics of a huge drag queen standing next to Joe Biden when he's signing it. Um, How did we get here and what are we going to do to eventually try to recover from this narrative? I mean, I know it goes kind of with the party in power and, and how they optically do it. They can quietly support some demographics of the community without, you know, having them show up at every bill signing that we have or, or things like that. But this just looks really bad lately. And when you talk about people like Russia and China looking outside in, um, probably looks even worse. Yeah, no, I agree. Look, this this entire uh, the drag artist, um, his name's Marty Cummings, going to this bill signing, I think is a, actually a great example, a great microcosm of how far the LGBT debate, if you will, has gone. Because you have this bill that's basically it basically legalizes same sex marriage, which yeah. is a lot of um, gay activists have been you know campaigning for for a while. Um, and, you know, love is love. All we want is to just, you know, you let us do what we'll do in our bedrooms. We'll just let us, you know, have, you know, loving marriages and raise our children and we're no threat to you. And maybe that's, you know, was the case for a lot of these early on gay activists. But the point is you can't walk away from the fact that the, you know, sort of culmination of the same-sex marriage debate in the Respect for Marriage Act has looked like something way more radical than what they told us they were going to do early on which again, is just like this love is love, stay out of her bedrooms type of like libertarian, you know, line. Um, you know, the, the uh, Respect for Marriage Act is, you know, has some religious freedom um, challenges itself. But, you know, now we have, for some reason, a drag queen at the signing. Like, what does that have to do with same-sex marriage in particular? Right. It doesn't really have anything to do with that specifically. What it has to do with is this general you know, cultural narrative that basically sex means nothing, gender means nothing. It is whatever you want it to define it as. And, you know, you're a bigot if you think otherwise. <laughs> no, you're 100% correct there in your assumption. I mean, I, was, I shared this meme the other day. It's like the slippery slope and it has <laughs> the guys on it. The first one is bake our cake. The second one is use our pronouns. The third one is allow minors to dance uh, for us in drag. And then the last one is let teacher choose your kid's gender. And we're literally there. Uh, We've seen it actually get into federal court, places where, you know, kids are being told that we're not going to tell your parents. We're going to give you access to not only support, but we'll show you, you know, avenues you could do for like the uh, puberty blockers and and moving into transition and stuff like that. And it's just I can't believe how crazy this is spun off. And it doesn't seem like a lot of our Democrat counterparts, especially in the Senate, are looking to help out at all. Kind of staying in the same narrative, another piece you had was Democrat senators look to spend $1.75 billion on subsidizing abortion travel. Um, it's kind of a vague bill off top, but when you start to look into it, it goes into that, you know, woke virtue singling of uh, we're going to support it no matter where it's outlawed. What can you tell our listenership about that? 
Yeah, so basically this is another example of the abortion issues being nationalized. And, you know, Roe v. Wade obviously nationalized the issue, but the the idea was that when you overturn Roe v. Wade, it goes the issue goes back to the states. That is correct, but that would be more correct if perhaps the Democrats were not so in lockstep um, for, you know, abortion practically up until birth, maybe even past it. Um, so you have basically, it's not going to be a local issue if bills like this go through because Texas, you know, Ohio, any red state can do whatever they want. But if, you know, if, if they're, if Democrat senators from on high are basically saying, we're going to pay for another state's abortion that we don't even represent, um, some woman in that, in that state, you know, and pay for her abortion, even though the voters, you know, voted for senators in, in that, um, state that are pro-life and have laws that are more pro-life, you know, basically you're just going to have like elites in Congress who are deciding that like, no, despite the fact that you have, you have elected representatives that are pro-life, like we've decided that you should be pro-choice and this is what we're going to do about it. Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, it seems like the Democrats have the same play for a lot of the issues we do see. There's been a big pushback on, on the stuff that's going down completely unrelated topic down on the U S Southern border lately. And it seems like now after the new Congress has sworn in, for fear that there's going to be real investigations of, of how bad it really is down there. Uh, they're looking to maybe move back towards some Trump era policies. But at the same time, you have, uh, you know, some of our Congress people in the Senate right now working on a bipartisan amnesty bill. So that's like the play. A Democrat president comes in, they open up the border. And then when the Republicans win back the House, the Senate or both, they can work on amnesty and everybody that came in gets a pathway to citizenship. And then when the next Democrat president comes in, we'll just let everybody in again. And that'll be like, you know, the big bait and switch there. Uh, the optics look like Democrats are working to safely secure the border while at the same time giving amnesty. Like, I mean, the bill that they're proposing, the Schumer Tillis cinema bill, it, it's, it's extremely vague in its, in its language and could lead up to 30 million people having a pathway to citizenship that will protect DACA and all things like that as well. So, Sarah, this has been great sitting down with you today. We're, of course, going to be looking to have you back on the show again soon. Uh, everybody that's not following you with the Daily Caller, we're going to live link those in the show description today. But where can we find you on social media? Follow me on social media. Um, my Twitter is at Sarah Hope Weaver, it's Sarah with an H. And uh, my Instagram is the same handle. Awesome. You're doing some great work over there. Keep it up and uh, have the happiest of holidays. This is a culture and analysis reporter for the Daily Caller, Miss Sarah Weaver. Thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you. Coming out of the weekend hot and getting the week kicked off correctly. Noah, what do you think? Outstanding. It was a good show. Yeah, I liked it. And uh, a lot of news stories kind of moving around, heading into the holiday season. We brought you three gate great guests. And if you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear the other 194 versions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, you can find us across all downloadable podcasting platforms. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podata, Google Podcast, FM Player, iHeartRadio, Patriot Podcast Network on the Roku app, or even on Frank's Beach. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to our great guest today, syndicated columnist for Newsweek, Josh Hammer. We had Heather Mullins of Real America's Voice and Sarah Weaver of The Daily Caller. Thank you for all taking time out of your busy schedule to come down and uh, spend a little time with Steak for Breakfast. Friends, don't forget to go and throw some of your hard-earned cash out at the, during this holiday season to some of our partners because when you do that, it only ha- helps make small American businesses great again, namely my pillow. Listen, the time for Santa Lindell to slide down <laughs> your chimney with sleep, comfort, and care is narrowing. If you want to get those orders in with guaranteed Christmas delivery 
Enter promo code STAKE at checkout, and he will take care of all those holiday needs for your family. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep-related. If you're more of a morning person, want the My Coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak, or you could always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the best damn headphones that I've ever owned can only be purchased at Odyssey. If you're in the studio, you're doing anything serious, be serious about your investment. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. My Patriot Cigars, our good friend Alan is now up the ante, 25% off your total purchase when you enter promo code STAKE. Every order over 100 bucks, free shipping, $10 e gift card included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com is the website of premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Man rubs. I haven't man rubbed anything yet this week. Sounds like a personal problem, right? But uh, it is the deliciousness that can only be found at Man Rubs. Find them at manrubs.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Stay ready, gear holsters. What are we doing this week? Ooh. Uh, I don't know. I don't think the holsters will fit the entire line of migrants on it. <laughs> but if you would like a snapshot of that placed on a concealed carry Kydex holster, stay ready, gear. We'll get you all taken care of. Stayreadygear.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. We've got Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms. He's got a pretty simple equation for all your gun-related needs, firearms, parts, accessories, and ammo. His newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. Ask him anything on Facebook Messenger or via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Mediocre Medic for all our first responders. You're going to like everything they've got in their store. You're going to love their Instagram a little bit more. MediocreMedic.com is the website. And last but certainly not least... Did you get your Christmas Story version 2 Zero Fuck Stuck this weekend? If you have no idea what I'm talking about, go check out dumpbox.us. I'm going to be honest. I didn't get mine. I need to. I got mine. Tactical Gear done right. They're on Instagram. They're on Facebook. Upcoming shows. We're bringing it back here on Friday. We've got a pretty big heater coming in here. J.W. Gibbons of the Daily Call will join us. Christina Bob's coming in to do some of the news. We're going to get caught up on everything Trump world with Liz Harrington, and we're going to hear her pitch for the GOP Republican chair. RNC lawyer Harmeet Dillon will be here as well. We'll bring it back on Tuesday of next week, the 20th. Dr. Robert Malone's coming in here. More of a Trump world uh, update with Boris Epstein. Former ICE director Tom Homan's going to be joining us, and we're going to talk to the J6 Freedom Project founder, Cynthia Hughes, see if we can't get some uh, holiday donations in for some of the families there. Jake Denton is coming in on the 23rd, as is Alexis Wilkins, to perform her newest hit holiday single. And our 200th show is scheduled for the 30th of December. Cash Patel, Raheem Kassam, Mike Crispy are all going to be here at the very least. Friends of the Week, True Social, Twitch Streamer Crew, Beastie Man 420, and Siberian Kitten. They're usually the uh, most prominent names in there. Thomas Bama, 13-Gen Patriot, Jason E. Van Gundy, and some call me Tim79 love sharing all of our materials. Matthew S., William the Upside Down Man, Ghost Hammer. Can't forget Spoopy. Mm. Always creeping. In addition to them, let's give some credit where credit is due to some of the meme team. We got the Duke of Memes, Dumbass Photoshop, C3P Meme, Trump and Sons. Episode 20 is out now exclusively on Instagram. We've got Truth on Draft 2.0, hmm, the American Manta, and Namrock Namrock. I like it. Guys, things to remember between now and Friday. Number one, do your own research. Give you a lot of information to 
ingest today. Jump online, jump on your phone, do a little research, fill in the blanks for us. Number two, start a podcast. Eh, not too bad. I mean, we're doing the outro, and it's pretty darn early here. Mm -hmm. Welcome. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. Crap like Kanye West and Nick Fuentes has been saying lately, the opposite of American greatness. We don't talk about American greatness enough. Let's start talking about it again. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 195 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and we'll be back 196 on Friday. J.W. Gibbons, Christina Bob, Liz Harrington, and Harmeet Dillon. Not too shabby of a way to end the week. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah. Later. Antoinette. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening, and take care. I would like to thank Gavin Wax, Vishbura, and the entire New York Young Republicans for remembering who gave birth to this movement. And thank you for endorsing President Donald J. Trump for re-election. You know, it's, it's very easy to turn your backs on Donald Trump right now. He's under investigation. Life's, you know, his, his life's kind of going through a lot. And there's a lot of rich people, Ken Griffin, Chinese money, that's offering people to turn their backs on President Trump. And it would be very easy for Gavin to go say, yes, sir, I'll take your money. But he's not going to do it because he understands that Donald J. Trump is the only person that can get our country back on track and can finish the job of draining the swamp. You know, President Trump didn't just help our country or help our movement, but he helped people individually. A lot of people used President Trump to build their names, build their followings, and quite frankly, get elected to office.